0: My class are in Revelation chapter 18, Revelation chapter 18, our class numbers are down tonight. I don't know why this week. Uh, If you remember review-wise, where we are immediately in the text, and I'm I'm not going to go through the whole book review tonight, uh, but if you remember where, uh, where we are in our text, uh, you remember that what has happened is we finally got to this place where these seven bowls of wrath are poured out, and they were different than the first set of seven was the seals that told about the church, and the second set of sevens was the trumpets that were partial judgments. So th- at this point, this is, this is it. This is the judgment on Rome happening with these bowls of wrath. But the reason, what was significantly different about them was not just the judgment or the amount of it, but it was the, the way that it happened. Uh, it appears that all these bowls are poured out at the same time. So it's not like the others were. one thing happened and then another thing happened and another thing happened. It was just a judgment on Rome and it was very rapid and very quick from God. Now following that chapter of judgment or where the bowls were actually poured out, we saw the account where this angel came and was speaking with John and showing him some things and he told him, he was, he was surprised that John was surprised, Right. Uh, as how bad things were getting and so he explained to him what all of it meant he explained to him about uh, the judgment on rome the people that were under the power of rome the the emperor being the power behind this city and all these things that came to do with that so as we've continued on we're in that same context of this explanation if you will right now Uh, and in the next little bit here what we're dealing with is the uh, the way the people of the world who were around Rome, and many of whom were allied with Rome, how they responded to, uh, to this judgment. And then we'll see how uh, the righteous responded to this judgment. And the, so the angel is kind of interpreting everything that's happened so that the people will understand, understand, and so that John will understand what he's seen and what's going on. Uh, one thing that will come up as we continue on, and I don't know, the, you know, I don't, I don't ever know how far we're going to go in a class uh, but one thing that will come up shortly is you have to keep you have to keep these symbols going with you as you go through the book. Like specifically what I'm talking about is there were two beasts that we were introduced to in chapter number 13. And there was a dragon that we were introduced to in chapter 12, right? And you remember that, that we were identified or had those identified to us. And the dragon is who? The devil. And he told us that even in the text. And then the first beast and the second beast were the emperor, and the high priest of emperor worship. So, the, And they continue on in this discussion as this angel is interpreting the response of, of the nations around them as far as the response of the church. Now, we did actually start this on Sunday morning with the first few verses of chapter 18. Uh, if you remember, the messenger came out and he said, Babylon the great is fallen, verse 2, and then he says, Why, in verse 3, all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury so he's just explaining why it all occurs uh but something that i ought to bring up and I, i did bring this up sunday but i ought to bring this up before we go further is this you know the proclamation given to john about rome's destruction is in about ad 96 to 98 right and that was still quite a time before rome fell and so I, I want to highlight the point that that this book is making is that God wins, and the evidence to make that point is that God has always won and always fulfilled His promises. And so, as He's stating this, and this angel is stating this that John's hearing, He's saying Babylon is fallen. It's still many years before Babylon or Rome is going to fall, right? So it's just another piece of evidence that's going to prove not just to them, but more specifically to those of us who come after, who look back at it in history, that God knew what he was talking about, right? Okay, so let's pick up there. Verse 4, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Isn't it a true... Uh, principle that if you participate in somebody's actions that you also participate in the consequences of those actions whether it's a good action or a bad action consequence is not necessarily a bad word Uh, it can mean there are good consequences aren't there if you live a life of uh, following god there are good consequences of that if you live a life not following god then there are bad consequences of that and the thing is it wasn't enough for the christians to just say you know, I'm a Christian, uh, and, uh, and so I love God, and then go ahead and act like the Romans around them. Uh, what good did it do to claim something if you were not what you were claiming? And so even as this proclamation of the destruction of Rome is coming out, what God is saying is not just that it's going to happen, but he's telling the Christians, if you trust that, then you're not going to be a part of them, right? How many people, remember the parable of the virgins, right? How many were there? Ten? Do you remember how many were ready when the bridegroom arrived? Five. And they were called wise. And five were called foolish. They were, all, they were all ten there in the beginning of the account. They were all ten there. And they all had oil. And they all had their preparations. The difference was, well, five of them were wise enough to prepare for, it just might take a little while. Five of them were not so they were out when the bridegroom came. All right, that, that's, that parable is, not, is talking about the fact that we need to be ready when judgment comes. Our judgment comes. And we don't know if it's going to be today or it's going to be next week or it's going to be a hundred years from now. We don't know that. So we prepare every day. But the only way you can be prepared every day is by not being like the world that's going to be judged, right? And that's the point he's making to them here. Rome's going to fall. God's already proclaimed that. It hadn't happened today. It won't happen tomorrow. It'll happen, though. And so you have to be ready by not being a part of ...the actions of the nation. Verse 6. Render to her just as she rendered to you... ...and repay her double according to her works... ...in the cup which she has mixed, mix for her double... ...in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously... ...in the same measure give her torment and sorrow... For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come, come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Now, I read that all in one section there because of this. Because this angel has just come down and told the faithful to come out of Rome. In, in essence, not saying them to leave, uh, you know, positionally where you live but saying don't act like this nation and then he turns around and says now deliver vengeance to them and i want to ask the question is he saying to the christians to enact vengeance on Rome? is that what that messenger is saying is does vengeance belong to christians who's it belong to god so i want to get that out before i point out what we read at the end is the wrath that he's given to them is not a wrath that people can give did you see it there at the end what were the three things Verse 8, her plagues will come in one day, death morning. Okay, men men don't deliver those judgments. God delivers that kind of judgment on a nation. So it was God that was doing this. So he's not telling Christians to practice this. He's telling Christians to get out. And here's why. Because this angel is proclaiming this judgment of God upon Rome. And what he's telling uh, Rome, did, did Paul write... Uh, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Now the interesting thing is, in that context, what he's talking about, if you don't sow spiritual things into your life, how can you expect to grow spiritually? And we we live that way, we think that, we think, well I showed up for worship services, so I'm going to grow. Well, that's like saying I eat once a week, so I'm going to gain weight. It doesn't work. It has to be a process. You have to be. You have to be feeding yourself. So if you don't sow spiritually, you're not going to reap. I get that con- consequence, but the principle is valid in every application. And so as Rome has sown, and in fact he says you sow the, you sow the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. Rome has sowed all this wickedness, and God's patience has come to the end. And so now this judgment's going to come up on them, and it's going to be even worse. See, what they've been practicing and trying to destroy the church is nothing to what's going to happen to Rome. All right, keep reading. Verse 9. And the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that might, mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. So now we've got the kings around them. And we saw these kings as this angel, we saw them earlier in chapter 13, but the angel was interpreting all of that and said these are the kings that are around them that have made alliances with the emperor, right? So all these nations around them, and we talked on Sunday about why would they do that? Why would these nations get into an alliance with Rome if Rome was so wicked? And the answer is survival, right? Right? They needed to survive, and if they didn't ally with Rome, then Rome would just attack them, so that was part of the problem. But on top of that, if you did ally with Rome, you became powerful, and you became wealthy, and so now these nations around Rome who has no love and commitment for the nation, you know, it's just self-preservation for them, so now as Rome crumbles, they're weeping. Now, if they have no love or commitment to Rome, why would they weep? Yeah. Protection has gone, wealth is gone. I mean, it's all gone. There's somebody else, though. Keep reading, verse 11. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. Now listen to this. For no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, Every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. Now I, want to, I wanted to highlight that because I want to talk about that in just a minute, but I want to talk about the first part of it was. All these merchants from these places around the nation weep, and it's not because the nation crumbled. Why are they weeping? Yeah, who's going to buy? You know, Rome uh, wasn't just powerful, and Rome just wasn't just obsessed with destroying Christianity. They were obsessed with uh, abundance of all kinds. Uh, a couple of years ago, when Terry and I went on that trip to, to Europe, we went to Pompeii. Anybody here been to Pompeii? I think there's a few, a couple. It's an amazing city uh, to walk through the ruins of Pompeii. But what's so interesting about it is we didn't even know it existed, by the way, forever. They found it by accident. It was so buried, uh, but what they had—they had, they had piped running water in the city of Pompeii. We're talking about before Jesus. They had piped running water in the city of Pompeii. Uh, what would take a nation to that place? Abundance. Isn't that what we talk about when we talk about Abraham and God comes to him and says? I want you to leave your homeland and travel to this place I'll show you. And we talk about the fact the reason that's such a sacrifice is because Ur was just this elaborate place. They had all kinds of blessings there, and he gave all of that up. Well, that's the way Rome was. They had all this abundance, and they, they abused it. Everything was about excess, and that brought about success for them as well. And so now all these merchants that have the ivory and the wood and everything that was just listed there, all those things that they traded with, who's going to buy that now? Because what nation in the world other than Rome was living that way? And the answer is nobody. Okay, but notice that last thing that I highlighted. They're not just selling wood and ivory and people. Yeah, slavery. They sold people. People became possessions. Uh, When a nation, I'm going to get on my soapbox just for a second. Uh, When a nation, I don't care where they are in the world, I don't care who they are in the world. When they view human beings as objects, they have walked away from God. Wouldn't you agree? And I don't care whether you're talking about older people with the practice that is pushed in many places in the world today of euthanasia. Do you know what that is? You know, it's by, def- by definition mercy killing because we think they don't, their life doesn't have value anymore. Okay, I don't care whether you're talking about that age or a middle or middle age, which is the slavery that happened in our country, or how about this one? How about abortion? Is that not the devaluing of life? No value. So we just discard it. That's Rome. And the reason I highlight that is because, though I really didn't do very, w- very well in uh, history class in high school, uh, it's because... Well, I didn't think it was very important at the time. Uh, I love history now, and here's what I know about history. It repeats itself. And the reason it repeats itself is because we're the same. People are the same, and they always have been the same. And so we come up with these brilliant ideas, and we decide we want to go with these brilliant ideas. And if we don't look at history and figure out where those brilliant ideas were tried before and what was the result, guess what happens? We repeat it. There's not ever going to be another Rome that controls the world. There's not. God's explaining that through this book. But here's what I know. There are a whole lot of nations that are following the same path. And by the way, that would include our own. We think we're going to just act like everybody else in our nation and not suffer the consequences? See, that was a soapbox. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was a reason. Yeah. All right, verse, uh, what, 14. And this is still those merchants who are mourning over the loss of their merchandise sales. And the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. See, all their excess and all their wealth and everything that they took so much joy in just disappeared. right, next group, 15. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Now we're going to stop there because the next group starts there. Uh, But I want to ask a question there. What is an ally? Friend? What's it mean, though? I don't mean what's the word mean. I mean, just tell me, what is an ally? Uh, Preferably, in, in our context here, talking about nations, it's another nation that's working with you, right? Okay, what happens if you, since you're an ally, if you find success, does that benefit your allies? Yeah, it should. If you're working together, it should. What if you get in trouble? what if say for example you have allies multiple countries who are allies and some nation attacks one of them how's that supposed to work when you're in this when you're allies they help you right so you work for the benefit of each other in the okay if these merchants that have had all this wealth come to them because of the excesses of rome and they start to see rome crumbling what would be the ally thing to do go help help solve the problem, help, help keep this from happening. And really it would seem to be even the smart thing to do if you're getting wealthy by them, you've got to protect them and get more wealth, right? But they don't. Why not? What did it say? They're afraid of the same torment. They don't want to go down with the ship. See, I, I, I get the impression that the nations around Rome knew that it wouldn't last. It couldn't last. They were crumbling from the inside. Uh, God's word has been here a whole lot longer than these nations that we've been reading about. And so these people knew you just can't do this like that for that long and get away with it forever. And so when God brought judgment, they were afraid they were going to fall with them. And they walked away from their wells so they wouldn't go down with their own. The love. Yep. Yep. Okay. There's another group. Let's listen to them. The second sentence of verse 17. And every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in 1 hour she is made desolate. Do you see how many people were in so-called alliances with Rome and then still just walked away and watched it happen? See that's the thing. You can demand and you can force actions. You can't demand and force a heart. You can't demand and and force a commitment. You can just force their actions, and so Rome by its power and its wealth was forcing the actions of the whole world, and when Rome started to crumble, everybody, no well, they weren't committed enough to go down to the ship, but they did weep, they did weep, and sadly they weren't weeping about what was happening in the city or the nation, they weren't weeping about uh, a kingdom that was crumbling, they were weeping about the fact that just like everybody else, it was about what they could get. So all the wealth that the merchants of the seas got uh, well, it's just not there anymore. But there's one thing that we've gone over three times now that I didn't highlight that I'll highlight now that we've gone over a third time. All three of these allies who saw it happen and backed away for fear and let all their wealth go away, all three of them were impressed by the speed of the judgment in one hour. Now that doesn't mean in a literal sense that Rome fell in an hour, but compared to the timeline of her existence, the fall was... Again, how quickly did I say those bowls of wrath were poured out? Were they one after another after another? They were all together. The nation went down in a, almost in a heartbeat. Like that. That's a good picture. I hadn't thought of it, and I already used that as an illustration. Yeah. Yeah. Two cities. So quickly that the people were carrying on their life when they were covered. Yep, that's a good point, Donna. I don't know why I didn't think to use it since I've already talked about it. Okay, uh, let's see. Where are we? 20? Okay, now here's where we got another question. Verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Okay. Got a dilemma here. And this is some people, I don't know that I've ever heard them use this verse, but some people that want to uh, reject the Bible, look at it and talk about contradictions in it. I haven't found any. But this is one that I'm certain that if somebody came across, they would try to use. Uh, Is God telling the Christians, the faithful, the prophets who were before, and those who had suffered at the hands of the Rome to rejoice that these people are lost? How do I know he's not? Okay, for one reason is even before the new law, under the old law, God said don't rejoice when your enemy falls, right? So I know he's not calling us to do or calling them to do something that was opposite of what his principle was. But the second reason is I know that through Peter that God said he didn't want anybody to be lost, but to all men to come to repentance. So it's not that God is calling them to rejoice that this, that these people are dying and being lost, what he's calling them to rejoice is that this nation is destroyed. This nation that has opposed God and opposed Christianity and tried to prevent Christianity from even existing has crumbled. That's different than rejoicing that the enemies or your people have died, isn't it? So the rejoicing is not in the people that are lost, but in the power of a nation to try to defeat Christianity to be gone. All right, keep going. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any kind shall be found in you any more. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. And the light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride shall be not heard in you any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. So now he has a picture he sees. What's a millstone? Yeah, uh, if you've ever seen like an olive farm or anything like that where they make the olive oil what they have is it works the very same way with wheat or grain and it can be different in sizes but what you have is you have a large heavy stone on the bottom that's kind of flat and then you have a kind of a wheel stone that will spin around and it'll you know crush out whatever it is that it's doing whether it be the olive oil or the the weed or whatever it is that's grinding out but it's a big heavy stone right it's not like you're going out to the yard and you got a rock you got to get out so you can get it out of your flower garden you pick it up and throw it over the side this is a rock that you're not going to be carrying around and so this mighty angel picks it up and that's the way they viewed Rome wasn't it this means yes big powerful strong the kind of stone people don't pick up and throw away right but this angel picks up that stone and throws it into the water now I want you to think about it because we live around a whole lot of water I don't know probably everybody here at some point or another has picked up a rock or a shell or something and thrown it out in the water right? okay where does it go? do you go get it? no because you can't find it right? okay does it create ripples? are they different based on the size of the rock? So you pick up a rock about, say, the size of a baseball, and you throw it in there. That's a pretty good splash, isn't it? What if you throw a bowling ball? Bigger splash, right? Bigger ripples. They go out even further, don't they? What well, if you pick up a millstone. I mean, that's like throwing a car in the ocean. And it's going to sink, and you're not going to pull it out again, are you? And so the picture that he's painting here, he says, with violence. In other words, the, the, the result of what happens to this nation affects the whole world. There are ripple waves that go throughout the whole world and affect everybody that's in existence as God throws this nation into the sea. And as it goes into the sea, it's not coming back again. And what you see as a result of it is nobody in this nation is going to be rejoicing anymore. Today they're having parties and playing the flutes and the trumpets and celebrating and all that. Great parties. It's not going to happen soon enough, right? All these people are making all this money with their crafts and getting rich. and not going to happen soon enough. People are getting married and living their lives. Not going to happen soon enough. In other words, everyday life is still going on. And they look out there. The people, the the Christians look out there and they see Rome. And they're prospering and they're celebrating. They don't have a care in the world. Yet all this account started with the angel saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. So now as he gets to the end of this, he says, I want you to look at it and say, he just threw the rock in the sea. And it's not going to be in any more celebrating in this land. Why? Why was it? Because the blood of the prophets and the saints and all the people were deceived. All right, chapter 19. Now, that was, the, that was the response of the people around Rome, the people on the earth. Now, in chapter 19, we get heaven's response. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying... Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. Because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rises up forever and ever. So. So heaven rejoices about the judgment of God. And so I ask again, are they rejoicing that that people are lost? When do we see rejoicing? Is there a place in the scripture other than the book of Revelation where we read about a rejoicing in heaven? There's actually a place where we read about there shall be rejoicing in the presence of angels. Close. One sinner who repents of his ways. So that could be at a conversion or it could be somebody who left and returned. When one is restored to faithfulness to God or made right with God, they rejoice. That's the rejoicing in heaven. Well, not here. That's not what's happening here, is it? But yet, in a sense, it is. And in, de- in-, in destroying Rome, he delivered the faithful. Which is exactly, by the way, what the account of Noah is about. Everybody in the world is unfaithful except for eight people. The violence on the earth is unimaginable for us today. To know what happened with all... If you you ever go back and really study the scientific implications of what happened... With the, with the global flood, geologically and everything that went along with it, the volcanoes, the undersea currents, everything that went along with that, that flood, you have to recognize the significant violence on the face of the earth for that year that that flood occurred. And yet, that's the very first time where you read about God's grace. The very first account where you read about God's grace is the flood. See, that's the thing. God's judgment is also His deliverance. He his judgment delivers the faithful the fact that Babylon was represented there the Babylon right Any and every and you look through history and look at all the nations that have come and gone and fallen because they refused to live in fact, if you really dig down into that there's never, there's not been a nation since then that had the power of Rome. If he can take down Rome in that way, what's it to any other nation that's existed since? It's a powerful book, isn't it? Oh, one of the things verse verse two there. God always gets it right. His judgment is true and righteous. God's judgment is right. He doesn't mess up. We might get the evidence wrong. We might not understand a situation. God always gets it right. Verse 4. And the 24 elders, where did we read about those 24 elders? Anybody remember? Yep, they were right there in the beginning when we first got into chapter 4 where, where the apocalyptic visions actually really start to be seen. The first thing we see is there are the four living creatures and the 24 elders around the throne. And they cast their crowns down and bow before the throne and they worship God, right? He's still on the throne and he's worthy of their worship, right? Okay, well here they are again. That's at the beginning. Now here they are at the end. And look at this. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God. Who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia? And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Why are they worshiping him? he's worthy of worship same thing it was in the beginning when everything see this is something that we we kind of mess up with in our minds at at times we want to praise God and worship God when everything's going great we it's easy to praise him when the health reports good or when the finances are good or when the storm goes somewhere else that's easy to praise God for but when it your trouble and your storm and your problem and your health it's not so easy is it we think about God's blessings when everything good happened, but when, is he still worthy of worship when bad things happened? You know, was he worthy of Job's worship? And the answer is right here in this book. In the beginning, when everything was going wrong, guess what? He was still worthy of worship. And in the end, when he's defeated Rome, guess what? He's still worthy of worship. See, his, the worship of God was not based upon what was happening with Rome. It's not circumstance-based. It's based on who God is. And so God is holy, and he is just, and he is right. And by the way, they as they praise him, they say, the Lord God omnipotent reigns. You know what that word means? All powerful. Remember back in Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus is with his disciples, and uh, he's gone into the temple area, and he's... He's leaving the area, and they're with him, and they're amazed. They're amazed as they look at this temple and the size of these stones and the glory of it and all. And he says, you know what? Uh, There's a judgment coming, and not one stone's going to be left upon another. And they're amazed. How is that possible? I mean, look at the temple. Look at these stones. That's got to be the end of the world. And so they ask him about it, and he explains that it's not. It's a destruction coming with Titus. It's going to come lead the Roman armies to destroy Jerusalem and this temple. That's what it is. But they couldn't believe that kind of power. When you saw Rome in the world of the first century and you saw their power, you had to believe, from man's perspective, it will never fall. Who's going to beat Rome? Who's going to be powerful enough to destroy the nation of Rome? And God's answer is, I am. And the people... Praise him for his power. Keep reading. Verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So now you start reading about this marriage, and it kind of gets a little confusing because I thought the marriage feast was actually the the church. Isn't the church the bride of Christ? And so you think about the marriage feast and all of that, so why is I now saying at the end of Rome, which is a few hundred years after the beginning of the church, why would then you say that 's the marriage feast, and why are they now in white it doesn 't white represent purity, and therefore aren 't people made pure when they are saved see here 's the thing there was a promise there were multiple promises made by God that related to this, but most especially the promise was that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, right? Okay, God would protect the bride of Christ, right okay. All of the persecution that began quickly from the day of Pentecost onward. I mean, when you've got immediately Jewish opposition and persecution to Christianity from the day of Pentecost onward, right? So all of that persecution that then ultimately spreads to the Gentile world generically. It's not just Jews that persecute them anymore. And then becomes focused in Rome and Rome's opposition to Christianity and its attempt to destroy Christianity. We can talk about it today today. We can, uh, we can recognize that there are places in this world today that it is illegal to be a Christian, but there hasn't been a persecuting force against the church since the end of the Roman Empire that compared. Nothing that compared with the Roman Empire. It is illegal in places in our world today to be a Christian, and those people have it hard. There are a lot of places in the world today where there are people who are in opposition to Christianity. And by the way, that's even true in our nation Uh, You are the outcast, but is it anything like what we've been reading about in this book with what these people faced at the hands of Rome? No, not like that. This was worldwide opposition and persecution of Christianity. Satan used Rome to accomplish his purposes, and when God defeated it, he delivered his bride. She was seen as pure, she was seen as... Uh, existing, continuing to exist, and continue to be pr- uh, protected under the uh, guide of their of her of her groom. Oh, by the way, so good news. This guy's delivering good news. That makes John happy, right? So why does he fall down before the the the, the messenger? Doesn't John? I mean, who is John? He's an apostle, isn't he? He's been with Jesus, right? He saw the accounts that we've studied, things like Jesus walking on water and feeding the 5,000. Saw him after the resurrection. In fact, most accounts uh, historically tell us that you remember when Jesus was at the cross dying, it was John that was there that Jesus said, Behold your mother, and woman, behold your son. And so most historical accounts tell us that she went with John to Ephesus until he was very old. Uh, So, you know, I, I assume it was earlier than this date but i mean he knows who the who jesus is right so why fall down before this angel were you here sunday morning when i was talking about peter and the account of peter how i'm glad i'm not peter but i'm glad he was because i really don't want my worst mistakes held up for everybody to learn from like his were i think john's revealing to us his humanity here when you get that kind of news and you see that kind of power, he just wants to praise God for it, but he directs it the wrong way. And so he bowed down before this angel, and the angel says, You, you can't do that. You can't worship me. Which, by the way, I guess i get on my soapbox again. I don't know why I feel so much like that this week, but we, we've got to quit anyway, so I'll get on my soapbox. Uh, you know what that tells us? That tells us that worship that is not directed where God wants it to be is worthless. So if we worship preachers. And we do that. We don't say we do it, but we do it. And we worship uh, a particular building. You know, Or and I've heard that too. My my ancestors laid the bricks on this building, so that makes me special. You know, and we can't do anything in that building I don't agree with because, well, that's my building. It's a holy building, right? We sprinkled holy water on the building, right? So we see all these physical things and we associate them with importance so that we worship them. I've had people tell say you 've written in your bible ye you can be lost because you wrote in your holy bible listen what's holy about this is not the leather or the paper it's the message what God is saying to us is you worship me you don't worship the 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 uh, message you don't worship the messenger you don't worship the situation you worship me and that's what the 24 elders do don't they Okay, we got to stop there. I got off topic a lot tonight, but we'll pick up there on Sunday. Let's close with a prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity to be here tonight to study your word, and we're so thankful for this message the victory, and we pray, Father, that we will have the courage to walk with you and remain with you even through the challenges and difficulty of uh, the world in which we live. Help us, Father, never to trust in our own power but always to depend upon yours, Forgive us where we fail you in Christ's name. Amen.